always like to think P.T. Barnum was right when he said, nothing draws a crowd like a crowd, and, and that's what we're so thrilled to be part of. From the Kentucky New Era, this is Podkinsville. In this week's episode, Michelle Vowell sits down with the owners of M.B. Rowan and Casey Jones Distilleries to talk all things bourbon and moonshine. Stay tuned. Well, we're here today to speak with the owners of two different Christian County distilleries, Peg Hayes and A.J. Jones from Casey Jones Distillery, and we have Paul Tomaszewski from M.B. Rowan Distillery out of Pembroke. And we're going to start today with a brief history of both places. We'll have Paul start. Okay. So we opened in uh, 2009, so about 10 years ago, and uh, started with just my wife and I, for the most part, uh, making the product and then, you know, uh, dealing with visitors, you know, as far as receiving visitors at the distillery. And we have slowly over the past 10 years grown ourselves to we've got about grand total about a dozen different employees uh, we have a few folks that help for events and whatnot in addition to that and then um, you know production wise we started very very small with a little 100 gallon pot still and now we're filling which really still isn't a whole lot but we're filling about six barrels a week of product and uh, Focusing mainly on bourbon and other whiskeys, uh, we we wanted to be true to our own personal history as well as to the market, and uh, we don't necessarily have a lot of uh, distilling history or background in our family tree, if you will. Uh, so we like to say we are making our own history, and we focus on you know the local ties with the local grains that we utilize and the process for some of the products that we make with the smoking or dark firing of, of our corn, just like dark fire tobacco. Um, but we, you know, named it after my wife, Mary Beth Rowland, M.B. Rowland is her maiden name. And, uh, you know, that seems to have a nice kind of ring to it compared to Tomaszewski for a whiskey name. Peg, would you like to speak to the history of Casey Jones' distillery? Well, the Jones family has a, a long history, predominantly in the western Kentucky and then the land between the rivers, or what we know as land between the lakes area today. Uh, Casey Jones, whose real name was Alfred Jones, but they called him Casey because he only sold moonshine by the four one-gallon jug cases when he made it and sold it, so he was pretty much exclusively known as Casey. I don't know that anybody really knew his, his uh, birth name was Alfred. So that went on, and then along comes the TVA and created Lake Barkley and Kentucky Lake and ran everybody out and created land between the lakes. From the 30s through the 50s, Casey was the premier illegal production still maker. Now, he made moonshine, but his real fame was because he made stills that were designed differently. They had a different box type called a coffin still. They had no need for what's called the thumper keg because of his line arm design. And then his condenser was really the magical piece that was completely different than what you visualize when you think you're seeing an illegal production still with the coil or the worm. So his condenser uh, was, was a, a lot different. So his, pro his still made product faster, better tasting, higher proof, which was all real important. You're making illegal spirits. 
So along comes uh, the federal government, runs everybody out in 1967. Casey was commissioned by the federal government to build a still to be placed in the land between the lakes visitor center. So it was there for 40 years until the Forest Service took over. And when they took over, they took that still out and used one of these little smaller model stills that he has. He started making after he got out of the pen the second time for building big stills. Um, anyway, they, if you go today, you'll see a small model still, but when that big still was taken out, it was put into storage by the Forest Service. We found out about it. It took about a year, but one day they called AJ and said, hey, if you want your granddad's still, we're going to give it to you, which was kind of unimaginable that the federal government would give back a piece of equipment like that. So, of course, AJ went what usually takes 40 minutes to get to LBL. took him about 15, and he got the still, and that's how we got to where we are. Awesome. Paul, we'll go back to you. Why did you get into this line of work? Uh, well, I got, like many people in this area, in some way, shape, or form, I have ties to Fort Campbell. I got here I'm originally from Louisiana, and I was stationed here. My wife is from the area, and uh, we, because, you know, it's technically both, not really one person, but it's we were separating from the Army. And uh, I was thinking about what I wanted to do for a living when I grew up, and this seemed like a good idea based on, there were many reasons, which is a quite lengthy conversation, but at the end of the day, a lot of things kind of lined up to make sense, make this make sense. Um, and uh, one of those was a piece of property that was an Amish dairy farm came up for sale. And uh, that obviously most of us that are from around here know that that is a, a little bit of a unique situation. And so um, we looked at the, situation or the writings on the wall and said to ourselves hey you know what this is uh, this could work let's you know put all the dollars and cents together we convinced the bank they thought it was a good idea and um, they did say you know hey you know this is unique but we we think that you can make this work and you know a distillery in this part of the really the country but especially in this part of Kentucky was or a new small distillery if you will was very, very unique. And um, so as far as the, you know, funny funny stories we have whenever we started off, so many people that would come visit us when we early on would say, oh, what kind of wine do you make? Or uh, uh, where, where, where's the beer that you make? Yeah, I mean, they didn't even know what a distillery was, is my point. And obviously that's evolved quite a bit over the past 10 years. Um, but, you know, I, we like to think that we're kind of, and Casey Jones, a wonderful example of this, you know, continuing to develop, but we're trying to bring some of that tourism and visitation and the benefits associated with that that is normally attributed to Central Kentucky to over here in Western Kentucky. Peg and AJ, why did you decide to get into this line of work? It was that daggone still that showed up. <laughs> and then, um, I do want to make a comment about, I remember seeing Paul's picture on the front page of the Kentucky New Era when he and Mary Beth decided to go down that path, and it was uh, it was life, like, just I can see it today, how clear and, and how, what a great thing it was, and, and kind of like, kind of crazy, um, and then not too long after that, Paul used to teach classes, and with, the still showed up at our place, we weren't really sure what we were going to do, but we went and we took his class, so that was an inspiration that um, they provided to us to then embark on, on what we did. So we, we didn't really have any idea. We had a still, we had a building, 
we got our it took about two years to get our federal and state licensing and permitting and we were open two days a week and we were making you know, not much at all we have 140 gallons still and um, and then it just started to pick up and we had an opportunity to make to jump in full time which we did our first distillation was November the 1st of 2014 and, and at that time we were only open a couple of days a week and then in 2000, late 2016, we decided to be open six days a week, and now we're open seven days a week. But it is about the tourism. Uh, we have an event center as well and do a lot of events, daytime, nighttime, weddings, what have you. And uh, it's just a, it's a pretty incredible business. Well, let's talk about your products. Let's talk about the processes of making your products. Paul, you have quite a variety, I guess, of different things. Let's talk about the processes. So, um... We really make from the from the production process and distilling. It's really two different types of products, or maybe three, uh, from the fundamental process that is associated with you know making that. And our bourbon and our whiskeys are all made essentially the same. The difference is the recipe and you know the grain content and everything like that. Um, with our bourbon and our whiskeys, the biggest thing that we do aside from using the local grain that makes a very unique flavor particularly white corn is we do everything uncut and unfiltered so when we distill it uh, it comes off the stillet of roughly 110 proof or 55 percent alcohol and then we put that in the barrel for aging a lot of your larger distilleries might distill as high as 140 proof and then they'll cut it down with water to go into the barrel and then when we dump our product, when it's finished aging, we will uh, blend it and put it straight into the bottle and every batch is handwritten on there what the alcohol content is because it's going to vary from batch to batch um, as opposed to cutting it down with water. And that makes a very unique full flavored uh, bourbon that is both different because of the white corn, the pot distillation process, but then also that uncut, unfiltered aspect to it. Um, we like to think that we're kind of bringing back the way a lot of bourbon and whiskey was made before Prohibition when kind of industrial large-scale production took over following World War II. And the other product, which or one of the types that we make, I just brought a, a bottle of it right here, is what we call our Kentucky Azul, which is actually an agave spirit, much like a tequila. We can't call it tequila because it's not made in the proper parts of Mexico that is required by federal law to be able to call it that but it's made with the same agave 100% blue agave and then when once we distill the product we then put it into a freshly dumped bourbon barrel for aging so it's going to get a little bit of color and flavor from the bourbon that was residually in that barrel and uh, you know it's a unique product it's different as far as we know it's the first of its type made in Kentucky what we're trying to do is we're trying to do other things to showcase bourbon, and in this case, we're aging in our used barrels, and um, and also you know we we're, we fancy ourselves tequila aficionados to some extent, so you know why buy it when you can make it? <laughs> and, but but aside from that, you know we do make the unaged products, the moonshines, and the various flavored versions of that, which are all some of them very very popular. Um, but the focus of what our production is, is it's basically 95% whiskey and then 5% everything else. Okay, tell us about your products. Um, 
we too have a base recipe and we are making uh, one that we use for our clear spirits, our barrel aged spirits, and our fruit flavored spirits, and the other one is bourbon. So the clear spirits, we have three fruit flavors, which are peach, Granny Smith apple, not apple pie, and then muscadine, which is an American grape. We make those three fruit flavors. Those are um, made with all 100% natural fruit juices and then added to that corn distillation process that we have. And then we have our 92 proof, which was actually the first thing that we distilled. People who knew Casey and had um, probably done some illegal things with him advised us that they felt like that was the taste that he would have liked, that he would have captured. So we did that as our first product to honor Casey Jones. And then we had a lot of requests for 100 proof um, product. And of course we had the total solar eclipse. So we trademarked total eclipse moonshine and then we put the 100 proof moonshine product behind that label. Our barrel cut is that same product in a variety of proofs that we will barrel in new charred oak barrels and treat it just like bourbon, age it just like bourbon, and then we'll dump it uh, single cask, dumped, unfiltered, uncut, and so each bottle, like what Paul mentioned, will all have different proofs, a little bit different flavor. And it's, it's kind of a, a really unique and hard to find spirit. There are not many distilleries that will barrel um, this corn distillate. I'm not sure why, because people that like it really like it, and there's a population that looks for it. It's hard to find on the market. It's very bourbon-like. Um, it's made with corn, so there's a lot of similarity to it. It's just not a very highly produced, and so I kind of liken it to um, a, a, the, the best cut of a piece of beef. It's that very, very small center cut piece, not much of it, but what there is is really, really great. Now, when people buy your product, what foods would they pair well with? Like if you were to suggest a menu, what would you suggest for your products, Peg? Well, the first thing I'd do would be tell them to make a, mar a moonerita, which is kind of like a margarita, but make a moonerita out of our peach, apple, or muscadine, and then drink that first and then decide if you even want to eat. <laughs> um, the fruit flavors are good with, of course, with cheeses, with any type of grilled product, um, fishes and chickens seem to go real well. The peach goes well with pork. Uh, barrel cut is great with beef. It's great with salads. It's great with, uh, we've had people tell us they love to have a, a sip of it with meatloaf, which is kind of surprising to me. Um, the clears, you would use them just like you would use a vodka or a tequila. Um, they go well with corn-based dishes and, again, with pork or chicken. Um, salmon is, is a real good choice with those things. And of course, the barrel cut we love to have with a really good chocolate as well. Nice. Paul, how about you? Any of your products? Uh, well, if you think about bourbon and whether it be the cooking with bourbon, you know, for certain dishes, um, or, or what would bourbon pair well with eating, I mean, barbecue's a, obviously a really easy one. Um, and just any kind of smoking or grilling that is going to go well with that kind of charred flavor you get from a bourbon aging and uh, my personal favorite being from Louisiana and also because our bourbon with it being very flavorful does very very well for this is a bread pudding and you know the sauce is pretty simple it's bourbon cane sugar and butter <laughs> to go on there and I like my uh, bread pudding 
completely and totally swimming in the sauce. So like two to three times what you would normally put on there. What do you think makes each of your products unique to Kentucky for people who've maybe never been here, don't know anything about it? Um, well, I'll base it off of what people react, you know, from the distillery standpoint. A lot of people that visit, you know, we get a healthy, over 95% of the visitors that come to our place are from out of state, out of, out of Christian County. And um, for the most part, people that come from Christian County are bringing out-of-town people with them, as you might expect. But most people are just blown away by the look and the feel of both our facility and our products uh, compared to what they would expect at a, a large distillery like Jack Daniels or Jim Beam. So the fact that everything really is in a lot of ways handmade and it's, it's, very, it's very much we don't cut any corners whatsoever the way we make our product. We're not focused on volume, we're focused on you know, quality and that's really it. I mean, even right now, certain things that we discuss and we're making decisions about, you know, the question typically is always going to come up, well, if we did this, we could make this much more money or save this much money. Or what, and if it has to do with getting in the way the product is made, it goes away pretty quick in the conversation. Hey, how about you? We uh, submit that moonshine was really the first the first spirit that was made in Kentucky, while bourbon is what's known today. It was really moonshine was the first spirit, and that's what we make in addition to bourbon. So we're making a, a truly Kentucky, Western Kentucky, land between the lakes spirit, um, and it's it's a great spirit. It's made with a family recipe. It's made with a family production still, and um, there's a lot of it on the on the market and a lot of it is not good not talking about a competitor or anything but ours is made a little a little differently our process is different and it's um, it's a very fine and a fine tasting spirit so we want people to understand that the word moonshine can mean something besides that bad taste that maybe you had in college um, also about being in Kentucky uh, to mimic what Paul said and then also add that with Paul and Mary Beth, we all teamed up earlier, about this time last year really, to create what's called the State Line Whiskey Tour. And we're unique in that, that we have joined together and we have so many visitors from out of state that are traveling I-24 that we put together our own little tourism incentive piece where they can receive a shot glass and then ultimately when they visit the three distilleries of Casey Jones Distillery, MB Rowland Distillery, and Old Glory Distilling Company, um, a barrel stave to display their shot glasses in, and that's quite unique in this area. Mm -hmm. Visitors who have had experiences at a lot of distilleries, and particularly the larger distilleries, which are fabulous, and, and they make great products, but we're in a, a little different world. We're, we're all very unique to each other. We don't have a lot of similarities, except that we're all small, and we all make great products. We all have our own history, our own story, and that's what visitors, visitors really thrive on and we're really excited to be able to do that and, and uh, again like Paul said making those decisions about staying true and honest to that part of what we do and, and so we can continue to make a really great small craft product that's true to the Jones family history. Now what are the differences between bourbon whiskey and moonshine? <laughs> I'm going to give you the simple answer and uh and, and then I can let them expound on it a little bit. The simple answer is, so bourbon, let's start with whiskey. 
whiskey is a generic category of product and the requirements consist of one it must be made from a grain based distillate so that means that the actual fuel for your alcohol needs to come from raw grain and that doesn't include for example we all see the commercials now with corn syrup used in this beer or that beer for whiskey you cannot use a syrup it has to be the grain as the starting point uh, then it must be aged in a barrel an oak barrel or as the regulations say an oak container so technically it doesn't have to be a barrel but of course those work quite well and so what that means is it has to be grain-based, it has to have a certain amount of flavor from that grain-based distillation, and it has to have a certain amount of flavor from aging in an oak barrel. Now bourbon starts to get to be a little bit more uh, particular. And uh, so, you know, you're zooming in a little bit more within that whiskey category. So all bourbons are whiskey, but not all whiskeys are bourbon. And bourbon has to be made from at least 51% corn. Most bourbons are going to be minimum 70% corn. And uh, the other grains are up to the distiller as far as how they want to create that recipe. And that's a big part of the uniqueness from brand to brand. And then the other requirement is that it has to be aged instead of just a barrel or an oak container, it has to be a new charred oak barrel. And the reason is simple. When you use a barrel the first time and it's charred on the inside versus toasted, you're going to get a very unique flavor, kind of like if you compare reusing tea, tea leaves or coffee grounds. Same thing with the barrel. There's a finite amount of flavor components in there naturally from the oak and then from the charring of the inside surface of that, which is caramelizing sugars uh, to expose them and to, to be able to access them, you know, via the spirit agent. And that's really it in a nutshell, bourbon and whiskey moonshine. Now, there's no legal requirement other than it technically as a you know term for a product, it's always been illegal. And there's been folks over the years making moonshine from everything you can think of, from you know corn to uh, sugar to probably grapes and you know everything in between. We can go a little bit further with that for for legal quote-unquote branded moonshine products which is technically a marketing term as far as the regulations are concerned but in the in the world of small distilleries usually there's some corn in that recipe and then after that it's whatever you want to use so our recipe is right down the middle 50% of our local Christian County white corn and 50% granulated cane sugar that was good. <laughs> hey, do you have anything else to add to that? Just a little bit more on, on moonshine. I appreciate Paul's explanation of bourbon, which is uh, hugely accurate and I think made easy to understand because if you start reading the federal government regulations, it can be a little bit more confusing than that. Um, moonshine really means anything illegally distilled. Um, it could be made from turnips. It could be made from persimmons. It could be made from anything. Grass clippings grass clippings or just sugar, water, and yeast. You could make it from anything that you can ferment and distill would then be, if it's not tax paid or not, uh, you don't have the right paperwork, it would be moonshine. Because there was such a great amount of corn um, in the area and there was not enough livestock to feed it to, and it was, it was a very perishable commodity, 
wouldn't keep well, varmints, mold, fungus, what have you, particularly years ago before there was the ventilation and what have you ways to, to store it better, that the best thing to do was to be able to turn it into a value-added commodity where you could store it, ship it, and you could keep it all winter and you didn't have to worry about all that stuff. So that was one of the big reasons why there's so much corn distillate that people equate to moonshine, which it really, it is moonshine, but there are a lot of other things that are moonshine as well. So we make a distillate that people call moonshine. The federal government or the state government, neither one, recognize the word moonshine. If you use it on your label, it is simply used as what they call a fanciful name, and it's kind of like a descriptive adjective is, is why you get to put that on your, or put it on your label to kind of identify the preconceived notion of that. And we, uh, for our moonshine, we use all locally grown in Christian County and Todd County, a non-GMO, yellow food grade, dent, old corn variety um, that we've found that gives it a unique flavor. And it's actually the same corn from the same seed company that Casey Jones bought his corn when he was making product, keeping it same true to the, to the family recipe. 50-50. So now we've got to the point where I would like for you to share your favorite product from the other brands. I, I commend MB Rowland on the dark fire. That's one of my favorite. And growing up here in Christian County, I used to work in the dark fired barns, putting tobacco up. So I'm, I always had a chance to smoke some dark fire, but I never thought I'd had a chance to drink some dark fire. So <laughs> it is a unique product. And when he says they're building history based upon that, that's one of the items that they're building history on. I've never heard of it, never seen it anywhere before. It's a unique taste, so that's gonna be one of my favorite products that they do. Excellent. In, in my opinion, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and to what he's saying, that's within the, you know, whiskey intelligentsia world, as I like to call it, that's one product we're getting to be well known for is that dark fired bourbon, for good, very good reason. Um, we, we don't make a huge amount of that product because it's very labor intensive because if you think about making dark fire tobacco, our corn's the same way. We smoke it in a barn, it takes several smokings. And so, um, you know, as, as we grow, we'll, we'll build a larger capability to do a larger volume at a time, but that is one of those that, you know, we, we're doing the, our max output that we can based on our smoking capability right now. I'm going to interrupt him and say, although I don't drink, I think I would have to pick St. Elmo's Fire. Um, that that is a, one reason is because of the name, which is, of course, St. Elmo being down by Pembroke, and then the other because it's an intense cherry, I believe. Cinnamon cayenne. Cinnamon cayenne, close to cherry. Yeah. Anyway, it's a very much loved, and I hear people talk about it a lot. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a unique one, and of course, we're in St. Elmo. Why we mm -hmm. jokingly call it, I mean, but realistically. Um, for their products, that one's easy for me because I'm a bourbon or a whiskey guy. So the barrel cut being that it's basically in that wheelhouse in a, more ways than one is the one that I uh, have, have drank the most of for sure. And um, I am quite interested to try their bourbon whenever they have that available. So you know, just from a standpoint of they're using a different kind of corn than us, uh, still making it in a very similar way, but a completely different recipe. So that's that's one neat thing with when you start getting in the world of bourbons, 
how they end up becoming so different from one to another. Is there anything else that you all would like to add? I appreciate your time today. I just, I want to, again, commend M.B. Rowland Distillery, Paul and Mary Beth for, um, you know, jumping out into really unknown water and territory because the word distillery was not known in this area at all when they decided to embark on that path. And, and I would imagine that starting out they got a lot of that kind of messaging, but they, they have absolutely paved the way and made it a lot easier for us and then being able to tie into what they already created and established and, and kind of help each other, that that's been a, a really great thing. You know, I always like to think P.T. Barnum was right when he said, nothing draws a crowd like a crowd, and, and that's what we're so thrilled to be part of. Excellent. So the other thing too is we're now we're now members of the Kentucky Craft Bourbon Trail, which Paul has been a member. So he started it. We're we're going to be bringing those people on that craft trail to Christian County because there's two distilleries now. Mm -hmm. It makes it so much easier. And and for those that whether you are or are not familiar with the way that works, we've kind of jumped. I'm not going to say ahead, but we've we've gone a different direction than the Big Bourbon Trail. The large bourbon trail, just like the craft tour, has evolved over the past several years, more and more members, and we've made the commitment at this point where we cut it into regions, so Casey Jones and, and us were in a region with only four distilleries in western Kentucky, and the good part about that is, you, you know, real quick over the course of a day, visit both of us, and you've already, you're already halfway to finishing that whole portion of the craft tour, and there'll be a nice little gift and then you know maybe it'll get you excited to do other parts of it um, but it makes it easier to conceptualize and puts it in bites rather than you know a giant uh, inhalation of 20 distilleries from one end of the state to the other it gives you a little bit to you know plan for but uh, you know we we have a great relationship and that's that's one fun thing being in this area you know, we joke with some of the other distillers about being in the correct time zone in western Kentucky and everything, but... The other you know, state of Kentucky. The, yeah, the other part of, yeah. And we, we've got like a little western Kentucky mafia going on between us two and a few other distilleries that, you know, we kind of have fun with the, with the other smaller distilleries on that. Uh, so we, of course, have um, picking on the porch. Um, throughout the summer. Our next one is this Saturday, which is June the 15th, and it will feature the Nightmasters from 6 to 9. It's a small $5 fee, and if you want to bring a, you know, 15-passenger van, that's perfectly fine. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just one of those things with all the people in acreage, it makes things a little simpler for us as holding the events. Um, but the, other than that, you know, we've got six other or five other events and um, you know that's pretty much our our deal during the summertime what your craft is November that's not too far off yeah um, so Casey Jones Distillery here in the next little bit of time the next thing we have is going to be on June the 22nd and that's of course the next Saturday that is Sid Hedrick and the Falcons, and that's a great musical group, and I think they played it picking on the porch a number of times, so they're kind of a local favorite. 
And then on July the 9th, we were doing a benefit concert for the Penarol Area Community Band and Penarol Hospice. That's the Tuesday after the 4th of July, July 9th, and that'll be out at the distillery on the front lawn with the community band playing a picnic pops type atmosphere. So be watching for that, and we hope you'll come out. That's a free, free concert for donations, and we'll have food trucks there. Uh, we'll have another concert in July on the third Saturday, and then the big deal for us this summer is we're partnering with the Pennyroyal Arts Council, and that'll be August the 17th, and that's the Lights Out Festival featuring the Woodstock Rock Orchestra when we'll have an evening of the music of the Woodstock Rock Festival. This is the 50th anniversary of Woodstock. Uh, the music will be incredible. If you happen to go to the show 1971, that was last Saturday night at the Alhambra, uh, it's the same producer who produced that music will be in charge of producing the music for the Woodstock Rock Orchestra. We'll start music about 2.30 in the afternoon on the back porch and then we'll move to the front. We'll have food trucks and some VIP seating. You can go to our website or our Facebook events and get tickets or get tickets at the Arts Council. Kind of like the Picking on the Porch, we had our Casey's Concert Series and we're doing at least one event a month so throughout the year. So no one can complain that there's nothing to do in Christian County. Thank you all very much. I appreciate your time. Uh, MB Rowland and Casey Jones. Hawkinsville is produced and edited by John Russellberg. Michelle Val was the host of this week's episode. Follow the Kentucky New Era on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Stay tuned for next week's episode.